Good morning. It's a pleasure being with you here this morning. Um, we left early McCoy to get here um, through Chatham, Virginia. So it was a nice drive <laughs> through the fog and that kind of stuff. But um, been down here several times, um, not to the church, but um, to the Berry Hill Resort there for a couple meetings with Bob and um, stopped by here at the church one day, just kind of looking at the parking lot on my way home. So, And then talked to Bob a little bit about um, the possibility of coming and share with you about Central Brazil Mission. We were in ministry, um, camp ministry, for 20 years. Um, I also work in the fire department, so I'm a training officer there at our training center in Roanoke, um, paramedics. So um, that's kind of what I'm involved with now. But um, been with this mission for years, and I'll explain to you in, in a minute why. Um, and so this morning, it's probably not the typical kind of message you're going to hear. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of Central Brazil because it's important for you to know where we came from and, and, and why things are happening the way it is now. And then I'll tell you about the ministry and then I'll, I'll give you a challenge about discipleship because um, that's what we're here and that's what it's all about. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Central Brazil Mission. Um, my parents are on Ruth Ann Hobner, that's their names. Um, they um, got married when they were 17. Um, they lived in a small town in Ohio. And um, my dad went to Cincinnati Bible College. I keep forgetting which one it is. It's Cincinnati Bible or Cincinnati University now. Yeah, CCU. Um, so nevertheless, he was a preacher in a small town um, in, um, in Ohio, going to school at the same time, working at a gas station. Um, and then while he was there, there was a Brazilian that went to the school where he was at and was kind of influential in talking to him and sharing with him, hey, you know, you ought to go to Brazil as a missionary. And this was back in the 60s. Um, so, you know, my dad thought about it and he prayed about it and he was preaching and he was, you know, doing fine. And he thought, well, you know, let me pray about it. But he took it this way. He said, you know, I've seen missionary recruits going around trying to raise support. They go around for five years, hauling their family around, church to church, raising support. And he said, you know, God, if you really want me to be a missionary in Brazil, you're going to have me the money in two years. I'll have support in two years to go to Brazil. Um, if not, then that means that you don't want me to go. So that, that was his attitude in praying. He you know, was a little forceful, and that's the way he still is today. Um, so he just puts the challenge out there and sees what happens. Well, guess what? In six months, he had $12,000, which that's what he needed to move from, Brazil, from the United States to Brazil back in 1969. So who can tell me now that changing subjects a second, what happened on July 19, 1969? Something very important. I told you it was going to be different. It's interactive, so. That's right. Man landed on the moon, and guess what happened to us? We landed in Brazil. We stepped off the plane onto Brazil territory um, in one of the cities there, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I was two years old when I went to Brazil, um, so... That's where I grew up, that's where I went to high school, that's where I graduated, um, came back to the States, went to college, then went back to Brazil for six years with my wife. Um, so Brazil's been in my life for all my life. Um, but 1969, that's what happened. So my parents moved to Brazil. Now where's Brazil? Okay, this is a map to show you where Brazil is because a lot of people don't know. Uh, but there you see the United States, Canada, United States, and then Brazil. Brazil's in South America. It's the largest country in South America. Um, you can fit all of the other countries in South America and put them in Brazil. Brazil's a very large country. United States is a little bit 
larger in land area than Brazil, um, but it's a country of about 300, I think, 305 million people. Um, what language is spoken in Brazil? Who can tell me? Portuguese, that's correct. So Portuguese is the only language um, spoken in Brazil because all the other South American countries speak what? Spanish. Okay, now it's also important to know that there's five countries in Africa that speak Portuguese. Okay, and it's the same Portuguese as in Brazil. A little bit different twang. It's kind of like English in England and English in the United States, kind of what you can compare it to. But here's Brazil. Um, all the different colors are just different states, just like the United States is. Okay, so when my parents stepped off the boat, they stepped off and went here to Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is a very large city. Um, all the area of Sao Paulo area is 20 million people. Um, that's where I went, and I graduated from high school because there's five American schools there, and I went to Pan American Christian Academy, uh, a Christian high school that's there. But my parents went there. That's not. I went to high school later there. Um, when they stepped out in 1969, they went to Campinas, a small town in, Sao, in the state of Sao Paulo, and they studied Portuguese. That's all they studied for a year. So five days a week, eight hours a day, nothing but Portuguese. And my dad can tell you stories of him sitting in front of the teacher, and she say, move your mouth like I'm moving mine. And that's all they did. And he would dream in Portuguese at night. In the meantime, us two-year-olds and nine-year-old and five-year-olds were learning Portuguese left and right. Because um, we were going to school, playing on the streets, and, you know, if anybody come to the house, my dad would say, all right, go see what they want, <laughs> because we knew how to speak. They didn't yet. Um, so they stayed there a year, and then we moved to a small little city. It's not on here, but it's in the state of Goiás, okay? It's called Setis, um, and that's where I ended up going to boarding school later. Um, but in that town, my dad started working with another missionary there and starting a church, Okay, so he needed to learn about church planning in Brazil and how it works. And so he started working, the McAfee's are their names, Philip McAfee, his parents, um, in Setis Goiás. So right here, what's the capital of Brazil? Brazil. Brasilia. A lot of people say Rio, okay, but that used to be a long time ago. But Brasilia is the capital. It's right there. We live about three hours from the capital of Brazil. Um, Goiânia is a city of about a million people and a half, and that's where my dad left Setis and went to live in Goiânia because there he was the dean of a Bible college. They had asked him to come, and so while he was there, we moved there, and that's where most of my life was spent, in the city of Goiânia. So he's there working as the dean of the Bible college, and another missionary comes up to my dad and says, Earl, why are you sitting there behind the desk in this Bible college? Why aren't you out there starting churches? And my dad's thinking, well, why are you not out there starting churches? You're here printing paper. You know, he was a printer in the printing business missionary type of thing. Um, so my dad kind of took his challenge and said, all right, you know, God, if you want me to start a church, then, you know, open some doors and let's see what happens. Well, this government subdivision was going to go in Goiânia. And there was no churches there. And all the houses were the same size. They were, if, you put this, if you get this stage and square it off, that's how big the houses were. And they were all side by side. Um, and there was like 25,000 houses in a little six, six city square blocks. No churches in the whole Goiânia, okay? City of a million people. There was four Christian churches there. So my dad decided to start a church, so we bought a house and then started a meeting with the church. Now, when you start a church, you need people, okay? So my dad started 
you know, evangelizing, going on the street, and he got this couple that both the husband and the wife had been married before, and together they had 28 kids. And that's how they started the church. So if you need to start a church, if you want to reproduce here, get a big family. So 28 people, 28 kids, and they came together and started the church of New Horizon. Okay, that's our mother church, Igreja de Cristo de Novo Horizonte. Okay, and that's the New Horizon church. And there, that's when we started working. Um, and this is a picture of the church back in 1974. Okay, so that church is, the, you see kind of the little square houses there. Um, not much space in between them, and there are some of the leaders that my dad started disciple, discipling. And today, that's the way the church looks. It's the mother church, we call it. They run about 500 on Sunday nights, because there in all South American countries, the main service is Sunday night. Sunday morning, you have Sunday school, but then Sunday night, because all South American people like to get out at night, that's when they dress up and do things. So um, that's where... Um, this church was started, and then from that church, we started other churches and smaller and other subdivisions that were growing within that area there, okay? And today, those churches are self-supporting because that was the goal. We started a Bible college to train the Brazilians to be the leaders, and then as the mission supported these preachers and they turned into the preachers of these churches, the churches grew, and today, they're all self-supporting. So now, we have over 100 churches in Goiânia, that these churches all have started, and there's over 50,000 Christians there. Um, so praise the Lord for that, um, that we were able to disciple and God reproduced. And now the Brazilians are not only reproducing within the city, but they're going to those countries in Africa to, to speak Portuguese because it's easier for them to get in in some of those countries than it is Americans. Um, so that's why they're in other countries as missionaries also. So a lot of exciting things. Um, in Novo Horizonte there, in that church, as it's the, the ministry. Now, so again, my parents have been there for 49 years. Um, it'll be 50 next year. The, the theme of our mission is to make disciples, make better disciples, and then you'll make more disciples. And then I'll explain that a little bit at the end of the service, how, it, how that all works. Um, but we base our ministry on several different scriptures. One of them is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says, Toda autoridade me foi dada no céu e na terra. Portanto, ide fazer discípulos de todas as nações, batizando em nome do Pai, do Filho e do Espírito Santo, para que continuaste a ensinar tudo que eu tenho ensinado a você. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, go therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to keep everything that I have commanded you. Another verse of scripture that's very important to us is, as Paul was talking to the church in Ephesus, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, he says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and be Come mature, attaining to the whole measure in Jesus Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth, but we will on all things grow up in Christ who is the head. Those scriptures are very important, and that's what we base our, our ministry on in Central Brazil Mission. Okay, So as they started this church and reproduced, um, one of the things they did because we wanted to be a mission-minded church. For years, we never thought about missionaries in another country 
producing and helping a church grow to be a mission-minded church in itself. So they spent one month, all they did is emphasize missions in the church. Okay, my dad said I'll never do that again for a month. Uh, but talked about missions, and so because of that, therefore, that's why I said there's missionaries that these churches are sending out now into Africa and different places where they speak Portuguese. But one of the things that also came out of that was we had a, a, one of a Brazilian preacher in Manaus, which is up here in the Amazon. Okay, Manaus is the capital of the state of Amazonas. Okay, it's a, a city of two million people. Okay, it's a port city. And there was a, a Brazilian preacher up there, was the preacher of a Christian church, and he called my dad and said, hey, I want you to take over this ministry in the Amazon, here in this church here, because I'm leaving, I'm going to Argentina with my wife, and we need somebody to take over this church. And my dad's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We need to pray about it and talk about it and, and see what we can do. Well, they had just prayed for a month over missions. So God was opening a door and saying, hey, you might need to go through this door here to see what I got in store for you. And so through praying, through talking, he got together with all the leaders in Goyanya and said, all right, which one of you need, thinks that you can, can pack up your family and go to Manaus to be a missionary? And so there was prayer time, and after several months of praying, it was not who was going to go, but which one was going to go, because there were several people that were interested that felt God's calling. Okay, so this one family, Pastor Geraldo and his wife, Sida, um, they said that they would go. And, but it was only one condition. His wife said, I don't fly. My dad said, well, that's the only way to get there. Um, because it's basically 2,000 miles from Goiânia to Manaus. And so she said, all right, I'll try it. And so therefore they went, and they've been there for over 20 years in the Amazon. And that church started there, continued to grow. And Pastor Geraldo calls my dad one day and said, Earl, if we want to continue reaching the people in the Amazon, we need a boat. Because that's the only way to get around the Amazon. There's only two roads, and the rest are all rivers. There's 1,600 rivers that run into the Amazon. And as they know, there might be 36,000 villages and more in the Amazon. And so my dad said, all right, let's pray for a boat. And so they started praying for a boat. He came back, talked to the board of directors of Central Brazil Mission. He said, okay, you know, go raise funds to buy a boat. And I can tell you miracle stories of people giving um, and, and not even involved in the church, but then making trips there and um, all kinds of stuff. And today we have Mayo Clinic surgeons that come and work on the boat, um, and all because of people giving. And so the story goes on and on. But we went to the Amazon. This is just a map of the Amazon. These are just some of the villages right here. So here's Manaus, and then we go towards the Atlantic Ocean here, and we travel 16 hours to get to the first village. Okay, and then we start spreading out to only different areas of the Amazon. Okay, and one of the things that you get to see on the way is the encounter of the waters. Okay, the most beautiful thing is the encounter of the waters. Water, it's the Amazon River meeting the Black River. Okay, and these two rivers don't mix. And so when they come together, they bounce off like oil and water and they keep swirling all the way for about 75 miles out into the ocean until they finally mix. And it's really neat because we leave Manaus on the boat. When you guys all come and come on a trip, um, you'll come and you'll land in the airport there and we'll pick you up on a bus and then we'll go get on the boat and then we'll head out. And that's the first thing you'll see um, as we're going up to the villages um, into the Amazon. Um, so this is Encounter of the Waters. This was our first boat um, that we purchased back in 1999 and started going to villages. 
Um, and I'm going to skip through the stories a little bit because in a minute I'm going to show you a video that explains it better. But basically this is our first boat, boat and we had never done this before. The boat is, has a doctor, dentist, a nurse, um, has one of the best pharmacies, um, and all this pharmacy is equipped with things donated from United States, from teams that go uh, on these trips, okay? So this is our first boat, and it finally gave out, and so we prayed about a new boat. My dad got permission to raise support, and now we have this boat. Um, almost a million-dollar boat, all paid for by people like you, churches, individuals, groups, um, and this is the cruise that you can go on, but do a little bit of work, okay? So we're looking for anybody that can do work, doctors, dentists, nurses, PAs, whatever you guys are, you can go, okay? Anybody can go. And we also do work projects um, in, the, um, in the villages and do all kinds of stuff. So this is my parents, are on Ruthann Hobner, okay? And this is the boat. We have trips every month, um, and now we're booked into the year 2021, Okay, with people going and different groups going. But we can always fit another group at any time. Um, all right, so let's watch a video real quick, um, and then we'll um, continue from there. I think this helps explain a little better than I can. Welcome to update 2018 of the Center Brazil Mission, and especially Project Amazonas, Christ, Life, and Health. Ruth Ann and I have just completed 48 years of missionary service here in Brazil. We continue living in the beautiful city of Goiânia, and when at home are faithful and getting in our running and walking. We would love for you to come for a visit. The churches in and around Goiânia continue to grow, and when in Goiânia, I continue to preach, disciple, and baptize at times at the Novo Horizonte Church, where we are members. But for the last 17 years, we have been involved in our Project Amazonas, Christ, Life, and Health Ministry. With the help of U.S. church groups, we are doing 10 to 12, 10-day trips each year. This was our first boat, which we used from March 2000 until the end of 2011. In January 2012, we inaugurated the CBM Amazonia boat, which is being used for all trips. But before the first trip of 2017, it was remodeled. way the boat's designed, it goes into about three foot of water, and that's important to go into these villages and pull right up to their docks. There is much to do before each trip. The boat is cleaned, all the laundry done, supplies purchased, oil changed, and the day of the trip, the boat is taken to the Tropical Hotel. Early on the morning of the trip, Neche and Claudia have gone downtown to purchase the fruits and vegetables for the trip. Let's go downtown 
from the hotel and pick them up. Our captain, Sunderlay, his crew of eight, are one of the best in the Amazon. The Coast Guard has recognized them to have one of the best prepared boats that navigates the waters of the Amazon around Manaus. After months and days of planning and waiting, you have made the flight from Miami to Manaus. We will now board the CBM Amazonia down the river to San Sebastián. The boat is well equipped with air-conditioned rooms and some excellent cooks. The first thing after breakfast each morning is devotions. Now let's see some of the activities that you will be experiencing each day during the trip. A lot of hand signal communication.
in those little packets, there's like a washcloth, there's toothpaste, a toothbrush, soap, things like that. We also have a large air-conditioned storage room for the many meds, as well as one of the best pharmacies in the Amazon. At our greenhouse in San Sebastian, we are providing three different food items for three different school lunches in the town. We put plenty of emphasis on discipleship and leadership training. Then our Amazon Brazilian missionaries are trained in general first aid, so they are prepared to give medical help to those in need in the villages where they work. Each missionary receives a backpack with meds that might be needed. As we plan for the future, let us share two items with you. First, Michael is getting ready when the time comes to supervise the village churches as the mission expands in reaching many new villages. The hydroplane will be such a blessing for us as we keep in contact on a regular basis with the many village missionaries and churches. Second, the preparation of a Brazilian doctor. Leticia is being helped by Centro Brazil Mission with her medical education with the vision and desire to become the permanent doctor on our monthly trips. Alex and Leticia stay in our house while we are on the Amazon boat trips. They both grew up at the Novo Horizonte Church and are now helping at the Gadovelo Church. Come with us to a new area that had never been evangelized. This is a channel that leads to a small town and three large villages with many small villages nearby. We can only get there when the river is up and plan to visit this area at least twice the year. Daniel and his family are already living in the area. On one of the most recent trips, we inaugurated two new Project Amazonas buildings as we prayed with them and saw 18 individuals baptized into Christ. Tu és o meu amado filho, não meu querido. 
Thanks for taking the time to let us share with you that which is happening in the Amazon. As we thank you for your prayers and for sharing part of your life with us and the people of the Amazon. When we are here in Guayana, we would still love for you to come for a visit. But even better, why not come and help us with an Amazon boat trip? Who would not like to go on a cruise like that? You just have to do a little work, but still. Um, I, I can tell you all kinds of stories of going into villages for the first time. And, you know, one of the main things you have to do when you go to a village is you got to find out who the leader is. Um, it may be a young man. It may be an older lady. Um, she's in charge or he's in charge. And you get their acceptance first before you do anything, because then if you do, then everything goes well. But now it's to the point where we'll come up to a village and the village leader will come to us and say, you are the boat that we've been waiting for for two years to get here. And so there's all kinds of needs out there and the boat, the word of the boat has got around and, and people want the boat to come to their village. Um, because again, our final goal is it's Christ, life, and health. So the boat will help them have a better life. Dentists, doctors, nurses, people that go and help with the kids and the villages all come and we help. We work with them, but the goal is to plant the seed of Jesus in their hearts. And, and I can tell you stories of, of going up to, to the village, and every um, time we're in a village, we spend the day there, or a half day, depending on the size. But no matter what, we, we spend the rest of the evening, the evening we have a service, just to get together, just to summarize um, why we're there and things like that. And, and we've heard stories where the, the president of the village will say, hey, that's great, you brought a doctor, a dentist, a nurse, you have given us medication, you helped us with worm medicine, you helped our kids, our kids are looking better, they're growing, but what we want to know is about this guy named Jesus. We've heard a lot about him, we want to hear more about him. And so that's what it's all about. It's about planting churches in these villages so that they can continue spreading the gospel to the 36,000 villages that we probably won't be able to get to, but they can. Um, they can reproduce, and that's what it's all about. Discipleship, reproducing them, to be able to do it themselves. And that's why we have Leticia. She's the one that's being sponsored by the, by the uh, mission, um, by individuals, doctors here, sponsoring her to go to medical school, um, discipling her, who is a Brazilian, to be there and work. Some of the pictures of the baptism, those are people that worked on the boat. They weren't Christians before. And through the years of being on the boat, the first one, the one that was baptized, was the captain. And today, the captain is the preacher of the church that's on the boat that meets when they're not on the, on the river traveling. He's the one to baptize the dentist that's full-time Brazilian dentist um, on the boat. That's the picture you saw of her being baptized. So discipleship is happening left and right. Um, in the village that I told you about, um, about um, where the president of the village came up and said, hey, you know, what we want to know is about Jesus. 
This village was, um, was known for fishing. That's all they did. That was their livelihood. They fished. And so it reminds me of, of Scripture um, in the Bible, in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he called his first disciples, and he said, one day Jesus was standing at the lake of Gesenareth. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. He got into the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out into little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, I have worked hard all night. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For all he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, because from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, Jesus... One day, he taught his discipleships, disciples a lesson on fishing. And they never forgot this because those disciples were fishermen. So he taught them something about fishing. And Jesus related his teaching to the fishermen's own goal, which is a great catch of fish. But in verse 4, he says, I'm fishing for men, not fishing for fish. The goal made sense to the disciples because they were professional fishermen. Now, we need to say that all fishermen are not professional. So Jesus related his goal to the fisherman's own goal. Again, a great catch of fish. But all, prof- all, prof- all fishermen are not professional. Some just go just to get away from their routine of life. And that's why you can say a bad day of fishing is better than any day at work. But not for... The, the real fishermen, the professional fishermen, they enjoy the fishing and they catch the fish because their livelihood depends on it. But Jesus said he was, he was talking to professional fishermen, but he made it clear that he was not really talking about fish because he said, from now on, you will catch men. So he was already talking about the goal of the Great Commission, which is to make disciples. And Jesus wanted his disciples to take his work just as seriously as they took their fishing. Jesus wants a great multitude of disciples, and he's not satisfied with anything less. You see, when you become a Christian, you are now a disciple. You're now a professional fisherman. We may all be amateur fishing in the water, but we're fishing in the world. We need to be professionals. When Jesus said, launch out into the deep, he was not talking about numbers, but he was talking about people. He was talking about people. And that's the difference between evangelism and making disciples. And I'll show you that in a little bit. So our goal should be disciples. Our goal should be discipleship. Helping people and meeting their needs are important, but that's not enough. The fact is, Jesus has good news for us. 
Jesus changes one's life, and he, it is the power of the cross that calls people to forgiveness and repentance and faith and to be baptized into water like we saw this morning. You know, the Christian life is being a disciple. It's not being just a church member, but a disciple. Being a disciple. So pew sitting is unthinkable when discipleship is seen as a lifestyle of the Christian. Pew sitting is unthinkable when discipleship is seen as a lifestyle of a Christian. Four things happen during the discipleship goal. Four things have to happen. First of all, growing up. Growing up means that churches don't grow unless people grow, and people don't grow unless they're into the Word. The second thing, growing up, we need to grow together. Growing together means to edify, means to build one another. It means to mend a net. We are fishers of men. The church is a net. And when the net is torn, full of holes, it's not effective. But when it's mended, the catch is much greater. We need to growing up, growing together, and then growing more. And then finally, we will grow out. In other words, we'll reproduce. We will grow out into other churches. We will start other churches. Growing out is very important. So again, we are fishers of men, and the church is a net. The discipleship goal is to build people. That's what it's all about. Disciples are reborn to multiply. And it's this multiplication factor that God will use to fulfill His great commission that we talked about. It's not going to happen by addition, but by multiplication. What do I mean by that? Let me show you one chart to finalize everything. Hopefully you can see it better than I can see it back there. But um, Maybe. There it is. Looking at this chart, you might be a little confusing, but discipleship versus evangelism. If you're an evangelist and you win one person per day to Christ, at the end of the year, you have 365 people won to Christ. The next year, you win another 365, one a day. You'll have, in two years, 730 people that are won to Christ, 730 Christians. The next year, you win another 365, 1,095. Next year, 1,040 go down to 17 years. You got 6,205 people. Now, let's look at the multiplication discipler. Okay, the discipler, if you're the only person in the world today, this year, and you won one person to Christ at the end of the year, that would be how many people? Two. The next year, if each of you won a person to Christ, at the end of that year, there would be four people won to Christ. The next year, if all four won a person to Christ, that would be eight. The next year, 16. The next year, 32. The next year, 64. Look what happens after 33 years. You can't see it down there, but in 33 years, there would be 8 billion people won to Christ. That's not even the population of the world yet. But if we would disciple, and that's why our theme is make disciples, make better disciples, to make more disciples. It's all about discipleship. Every one of us is a part of the body of Christ. Every one of us are on God's fishing team. We are professional fishermen, and we can all catch fish, and we don't need to make up fantasies when we don't catch them. And it doesn't mean that you're leaving everything, but you're using everything you have and everything you are to make sure 
that you are catching men. So my challenge to you is think about how you can be used by God, whether it's in Brazil on the boat, coming on a, on a, on a little 10-day trip, and seeing how God can change your life and how you can come back here and multiply and help us multiply people down there. One last little um, poem that I like to read that, that I think sums it all up. It says this. It, it's entitled, From Subtraction to Multiplication. Ten church members standing in a line, one disliked the preacher, then there were nine. Nine church members offered to work late, one forgot their promise, then there were eight. Eight creative members, ideas as good as heaven, one lost interest, and then there were seven. Seven loyal members got into a fix, they quarreled over projects, and then there were six. Six members remained with spirit and drive, one moved away, and then there were five. Five steadfast members wished there were more, one became indifferent, then there were four. Four cheerful members who never could agree, one complained a meeting, and then there were three. Three eager members, what could they do? One got discouraged, and then there were two. Two lonely members, my rhyme is nearly done. One joined another church, and then there was one. One faithful member was feeling rather blue. He met with the neighbor, and then there were two. Two earnest members each enrolled one more, doubling their number, and then there were four. Four determined members just couldn't wait till each one won another, and then there were eight. Eight excited members signed up 16 more. In another six verses, there will be 1,024. It's all about making disciples. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here um, in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for the worship team and how they have led us to, to bring you honor and glory through singing. We thank you for allowing us to, to bring your word and allowing us to listen to it. Um, change our hearts today, Lord. Mess with our hearts. Um, put something in our hearts that that as we leave this place, it'll change us and it'll make us want to do more for you. Thank you for the time spent here. Thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.